I encourage you to take your handouts and you may uh, want to follow along with me. I think it will make it a bit easier this morning. I begin by saying there is a strong temptation to be ashamed of the gospel and those who proclaim it. I don't know if you sense that temptation in your own heart and mind, but I would encourage you to reflect upon that truth. And I don't use that word uh, lightly. The truth is that each and every child of God struggles with being ashamed of the gospel and those who proclaim it. Now, what do we mean by that? What I mean by being ashamed is an unwillingness to identify with the gospel and to be associated with those who proclaim it. The temptation results from the suffering, whether perceived or real, that may come as a result of identifying with the gospel. This passage centers, the particular pericope that we are in, centers on this main idea of not being ashamed of the gospel. Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.12, for which is why I suffer as I do, his affiliation with the gospel, but he said, I'm not ashamed. Paul exhorts Timothy not to be ashamed of the gospel or even of Paul himself in verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. So these are the bookends of this particular pericope. Paul says to Timothy, don't be ashamed. And then Paul concludes to Timothy, I am not ashamed. So this all has to do with the exhortation of not being ashamed of the gospel or those who proclaim it. Why was Paul concerned? Why would he raise such an issue with young Timothy? For Timothy is a very dedicated young man. Paul has already said that he is convinced of Timothy's faith. He is going to commend Timothy for his conduct. Timothy has been serving the Lord very faithfully. He is referred to as a beloved son in the faith. Paul is endeared to Timothy because of the way in which Timothy has labored alongside. Paul writes to the book of Philippians that he has no one like-minded as Timothy is. Timothy is the star on the horizon. Timothy is the person that is going to take over and fill the Apostle Paul's shoes when uh, he goes to be with the Lord. But Paul is concerned that Timothy be not ashamed of the gospel nor of those who proclaim it. Therefore, if Paul is concerned about Timothy, how much more should we be concerned about our own lives? Uh, We may be committed. We may be desirous of being used of God. But there still is a temptation that is present. So why is Paul concerned? Answer, because others have been ashamed of the gospel and had distanced themselves from the Apostle Paul. We've already seen that a number of occasions. There are numerous references to people throughout 2 Timothy that are no longer walking with Paul. Uh, Paul says, Demas has forsaken me. He has abandoned me, having loved the present world. He talks about Philegius and Hermogenes, who have um, 
started teaching false doctrine. So there are plenty of examples of people who have withdrawn from the gospel and withdrawn from supporting those who are preaching the gospel. So what is the remedy for being ashamed of the gospel? How are we to overcome our fears and reticence? No one likes to suffer. No one likes to be placed in difficult situations. So how are we to overcome the temptation to be ashamed of the gospel and those who proclaim it? What is the remedy? There are four things in this particular passage. The, uh, I'm going to really try to go through these first three pretty rapidly because the fourth is the main point and the main idea. But uh, that's one of the reasons for the handout. But the first remedy is to make a conscious decision to be faithful to our calling. In 2 Timothy 1.8, it writes, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor me as prisoner, but share in the suffering of the gospel. Be a partaker in the suffering of the gospel. Don't distance yourself from that. A, to be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord is to be unwilling to proclaim the gospel and unwilling to identify with those who are being persecuted as a result of preaching the gospel. Paul writes, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. To share in the sufferings of the gospel is the antithesis of being ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Notice it says, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. And then this conversive word, but, share in suffering for the gospel of the power of God. So those two ideas are antithetical to each other. They, they stand in stark contrast. And they are very important to understand as parallels. Okay? To be ashamed is to be unwilling to share in the suffering. It doesn't mean ashamed in the sense of embarrassed. Okay? It, it doesn't mean that. It isn't that we are embarrassed by the gospel, but rather that we shirk from our duty in participating in the consequences that come through association with the gospel and those who proclaim it. To want to withdraw, not that we forsake the gospel, not that we don't privately worship God and serve the gospel, but we are unwilling to enter into suffering that may come as a result of identifying publicly with the gospel and those who proclaim it. See, the suffering that is in view is primarily the suffering of persecution. Verse 8, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about me, excuse me, about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. Okay? So this is the way in which Paul is suffering. Verse 12 of chapter 1, which is why I suffer as I do. He's suffering as a prisoner because of his preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. The offspring of David is preached in my gospel for which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal. All right. The reason Paul is in prison is because he's preaching the gospel. Had he not been preaching the gospel, he could go free. The temptation is <laughs> to quit preaching the gospel so that you wouldn't have to go to prison. Not that Paul would walk away from his faith, 
but that he would no longer be willing to proclaim the gospel out of a desire not to be in prison. D, however, the suffering is not limited to persecution, but extends to all, spa- all aspects of a pleasantness. 2 Timothy 2.3, share in the suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So here the aspect is that suffering for the gospel is, is more than just persecution. There are demands that are placed upon us when we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior. There are duties, there are obligations, there are responsibilities. There are hardships that we have to bear. It's not always easy to do the right thing. It's not always pleasant to be engaged in the work and service of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are things that we have to be willing to enter into in order to fulfill our duties and our responsibilities. So in 2 Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, endure as a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, and That good soldier, a soldier, it goes on to say, does not please himself, but the one who has called him to be a soldier. A soldier isn't out on the battlefield because he enjoys being there. And there are a lot of difficulties that are associated with being a soldier. Chris is now uh, entered into the service. Emily is now entered into the service. And, and they are learning that they are giving up freedoms. They're, they're giving up opportunities, okay? They're having to do things that are unpleasant. They don't want to march. They don't want to do all the exercise. There are things that a soldier does by the very nature of being a soldier. And they have to buckle down and do it. And Paul is saying to Timothy, as a Christian, there are things that we need to do, and we need to buckle down and do them. And we shouldn't draw back from our commitment to Christ and to those who preach the gospel because we are not willing to suffer in association with that gospel. So the idea here is make the decision. It starts there. It starts with a, a realization that if I'm going to be a committed Christian, I need to understand that there's going to be suffering involved. That is so different from a health and wealth gospel. That is so different than accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and everything is going to be wonderful and pleasant. And you're going to have no more trials or difficulties or hardships. That's baloney. That's not the gospel. To identify with Christ means that there are going to be difficulties that come as a result. The first step in holding fast is to understand that truth and make a commitment up front that says, I am willing to identify with the gospel and those who proclaim it. Number two, second, to rely upon the power of the Spirit of God. So we make the commitment, but we need to realize that in and of ourselves, we don't have the intestinal fortitude to follow through on that commitment. It isn't just a mind mind over matter. It isn't just our saying that we are going to remain faithful to God. We start with that premise. I've decided I'm going to be faithful to God, but now I'm not going to rely upon myself. I'm not going to rely upon my own strength, my own resources, but I'm going to rely upon the power of God in order to bring that to pass. 2 Timothy 1.8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the gospel, 
of the testimony about our Lord nor me as prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Okay? So do this, share in the suffering by God's power. In 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So let's unpack that very quickly. First, God's spirit does not produce cowardice. God gave us a spirit not of fear. This is not your typical word for fear in the New Testament. The word that we usually see as fear comes from the word phobia. But this is not the word that comes from phobia. This is a word that means cowardice. Okay? This means a turncoat. That's not the spirit that God has given us. That is not what the Holy Spirit is producing within us. The Holy Spirit doesn't produce cowardice. Rather, God's spirit produces courage and strength. For it says in verse 7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power. And that power there is this aspect of courage and strength. There's no need to be, cur- to be courageous if there's nothing to fear. <laughs> there's no need to be courageous if there isn't some obstacle to overcome. Because there are these obstacles, because there are these temptations, because there are these sufferings, we re- need to rely on the Spirit of God who is the source of our courage and our strength. An example. The example of Peter and John. Peter and John, in the book of Acts, are arrested for their proclaiming the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are beaten and they are threatened that they should no longer preach concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are set free. So now they are set free, what happens? Acts 4.29, they gather together, and they pray to the Lord, and say, and now, Lord, look upon their threats, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. God enabled them to overcome the temptation of being silent because they were going to be beaten, because they were going to suffer. They realized, they said, Lord, look at where this is getting us. Look at the outcome. We are being threatened. And so they pray, and God gives them the boldness and the strength. So in order not to be ashamed, we need to pray. And we need to pray regularly that God would give us boldness to overcome our reticence, to overcome our timidness, to overcome any hindrance to our being faithful to proclaiming God's truth and identifying with those that do. And the third is God's spirit produces love. For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. That should be underlined. Love for God and his people provides the motivation to be willing to suffer. Paul writes, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. It's for his love for Christ that he identifies with the gospel. Verse 10 of chapter 2, Therefore I endure everything. Why? For the sake of the elect, 
that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. There is so much there to unpack. When we get to that portion, I will. But just notice, Paul says, for the elect's sake, that they may attain salvation. For my concern for them, I am going to continue to proclaim the gospel. Our love for God and for others ought to be the motivation to continue to share the gospel. People need to hear in order to be saved. And we should be concerned that people are saved. D, God's Spirit enables us to hold our fears, doubts, reservations in check. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but a power of love, and now this word self-control. Okay? This is that aspect of holding our fears in check. Doesn't mean that they're all going to be removed. Doesn't mean that, that we are going to enter into this situation with pure bliss. But it does mean that God will enable us to do what we cannot do on our own. And to stand firm for the things of God. Third, how do we overcome this reticence? How do we come, overcome this temptation to withdraw from uh, associating with the gospel and those who proclaim it? Third, commit ourselves to the purpose for which God has saved us. God called us unto salvation. That is, God summoned us to salvation. He drafted us, if you will. 2 Timothy 1.9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Uh, when you think of a, a calling. Think of someone shouting out your name. This is the manner in which election manifests itself. God has chosen us, okay? He's referring to himself, he's referring to Timothy, and it refers to all the elect. God has chosen us. B, God has a reason in drafting us. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose. God had a reason. God had a reason in saving every single one of us. That reason is to further the gospel. For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. Not, not everybody's an apostle, not everybody's a preacher, and not everybody's a teacher. But D, God's purpose, purpose in saving each one of us is to further the gospel. That is achieved by not being ashamed of the gospel and not being ashamed of those who proclaim the gospel. We further the gospel by personally proclaiming the gospel and helping those who proclaim the gospel. 2 Timothy 1.16 May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed, same word, of my chains, but when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. Onesphorus wasn't like the others. Here is the great antithesis. Paul says, no one is with me. They've all forsaken me. They all have abandoned me. They left. They went somewhere else. Now here's Onephorus. He comes to Rome. He comes to where Paul is. And he diligently looks to find out where Paul is imprisoned. 
rather than running away, he's spending his energy to find out where the Apostle Paul is so that he can minister to him. We know very little about Onesiphorus. Okay? Uh, certainly isn't an apostle. Certainly isn't a tremendous figure in church history. But he's obviously a person who's not ashamed of the gospel and not ashamed of Paul. He wasn't afraid of going to that prison and identifying with Paul as a means of helping him. So that when we talk about you know, serving the Lord and furthering the gospel, it doesn't always mean that we are the spokesperson. It doesn't always mean that, that we are the particular individual, but it does mean that we are consciously seeking to promote the effect of the gospel witness. We are, we are trying to be helpful to those that are proclaiming the gospel, and we proclaim it to the best of our ability. Now, let me slow down. Number four. Know whom you have believed. 2 Timothy 1.12 Which is why I suffer as I do, because he's appointed as a preacher, as a teacher. I'm at the top of page five. But I'm not ashamed. Why? Okay, now we have Paul's personal testimony. Here is the ultimate reason. What keeps the Apostle Paul going? Why doesn't he just quit preaching the gospel and go home? He says, for, meaning because, I know whom I have believed. I know whom I have believed. And I have there a note, Paul does not state he knows what he believes, but rather knows whom he has believed. That may sound like a small distinction, but I submit to you it is a huge distinction. Paul Little wrote a book entitled Know What You Believe. It's important for us to know what we believe, to be sure. But it's even more important to know whom we've believed. The gospel, B, is good news. The gospel is good news concerning the person of Jesus Christ. It is centered upon a person. Now we'll work through these verses emphasizing the centrality of Jesus Christ. The good news is that God had a plan before the foundation of the earth to save us through Christ. Verse 9. Who saved us, called us to a holy calling, not because of works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Before God created anything, he had a purpose to save us and use us through Jesus Christ. He was going to send his son into the world. And his purposes were going to be achieved. Number two, the good news is that Christ has finally come to earth. Verse 10, and which now has been manifested. That is that plan, that purpose has come to life. Through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. This one who was to save us 
has now come. Number three, the good news is that in Christ coming to earth, he did away with eternal death and dying. Notice the underlying statement, who abolished death. Okay, When Jesus Christ came into this world, he conquered death. He, he did away with it. He did it by his own resurrection. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was placed in a tomb. He rose again from the dead the third day, conquering sin and death. Death is now powerless. O grave, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? The grave, the, the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that now, every single believer will be raised from the dead and be with him. Which is four. The good news is that Christ came to bring us life. Which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who abolished death and brought life. He came forth bodily from the tomb and as a result we will come forth bodily from the tomb. The good news is that we will never have to face death again but will have eternal life. which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality. Immortality is that not only do we have life, but we have everlasting life. We are brought to life to never die again. We become immortal. The good news is that the whole process of salvation has been made known, which is found in that underlying word, to light. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who abolished death and brought immortality to light. Meaning, it's revealed. It's brought out to the open. It's apparent for everyone to see. It's been made known. This life that Jesus is able to give. How is it made known? Number seven, the means by which the good news is made known is through the gospel. So this has now been made known. It's made known through the gospel. D, Paul has been given the responsibility of preaching that message, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. That is, I now have this responsibility of proclaiming this message. It's been brought to light. This plan of God before the foundation of the earth, that he would send his son, Christ, to save us, and give us a holy calling. It's been manifest. He came. It's been brought to light. We have the gospel. Number one, it is for preaching this message that Paul is imprisoned and suffering as he is. Verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do. It's going back to verse 11. I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. That's why I'm suffering. That's the work that God gave me to do. And that's what I'm doing. And that's why I'm in prison. He's not in prison for being a thief. He's not in prison for attacking people. He's not in prison for embezzling. He's in prison because he's an apostle. He's a teacher. He's a preacher. That's what God gave him to do. Number two, so why in the world 
Does Paul continue to preach the gospel if he could avoid suffering by not preaching the gospel? Why doesn't he just quit? For it tells us in verse 12, but I'm not ashamed. I'm not going to draw back. I'm not going to disassociate myself from the gospel. But why not? Why not just quit? He's surrounded by others who have done just that. Unfortunately, Timothy is surrounded by those examples as well. And unfortunately, we too are surrounded by those examples. Unfortunately, the Christian road is striddled. Is that the right word? Strudled. Strewed. That's right. Thank you. Strewed is the word I want. Strewed. Okay. Don't use a word if you can't use it. All right. Strewed. Meaning that you got to step over a lot of bodies because there are a lot of people that have decided rather than to suffer to quit. Rather than to go to prison, keep their mouth shut. Rather than somebody making fun of me, I just won't say anything. Rather than somebody looking at me and thinking, well, well that's, that's kind of bigoted, that, that, that's kind of narrow-minded. I don't want to do that, I'll just shut up. I will inwardly believe, but I won't say anything. There are just so many examples of that. That's why Paul says to Timothy, don't be ashamed. Everybody around you is being ashamed. Don't be ashamed, Timothy. I'm not ashamed. And I'm in prison. Why isn't Paul ashamed? What keeps him going? E, the reason that Paul does not shirk from preaching the gospel is because not, Paul knows in whom he has placed his faith. For I know whom I have believed. He is convinced of the truth of the gospel because he trusts in the one the gospel is about. The reason that Paul is convinced of the truth of the message is because he has faith in Jesus Christ. That is why I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced. Now let me unpack this for you in the pages that lie ahead. The day that, that is being referred to as the day of judgment, verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I believed, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard that until that day. That day is the day of judgment, 2 Timothy 4, 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. It's the day in which the Lord Jesus Christ returns. A day that will be a day of judgment for some and a day of reward for others. Paul is convinced of that day. And Paul has entrusted his life to Jesus Christ. Now here we need to do a little work. The ESV speaks of guarding what has been entrusted to Paul, which is why I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me, namely the gospel. Two, however, all the other major translations speak of what Paul has entrusted to Christ for guarding. Notice, and I'll just read the underlying sections, the King James, 
to keep that which I have committed unto him. NAS, what I have entrusted to him. NIV, what I have entrusted to him until that day. Actually, it can be translated either way grammatically. Okay? You can't answer the question grammatically. Is Paul talking about what's been entrusted to him, or is Paul talking about what he entrusted to Jesus? The context best supports the idea of Paul entrusting his life to Christ for safekeeping. It is true that the gospel is entrusted to us, and that's mentioned in verse 14. All of the translations say that. The good deposit entrusted to you. See, however, we in turn entrust our lives to Christ. So the idea of this passage is that there is a twofold entrusting, if you will. God has entrusted the gospel to us. And we have entrusted our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Number four. The point is that Christ has entrusted the gospel to us, and we in turn entrust our lives to Christ, for that is the essence of the gospel. Paul's faith is in Jesus Christ, and he believes that Christ will give him life. Understand that that's the gospel. The gospel is that we who were dead in our sins are given life in Jesus Christ. That Jesus was sent from God, that Jesus conquered, conquered sin and death, and that Jesus Christ has given him everlasting life with him. That's our eternal destiny. We have this immortal, eternal life with Christ. Paul says, I believe him. I believe him. I believe Jesus Christ. I don't believe he lied to me. Now remember, Christ appeared to Paul. You remember that there was an encounter on the road to Damascus. There was a heavenly vision. Jesus said, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you kicking against the goads? He encountered Jesus Christ. And he said, I believe him. I believe him. And you say, well, we haven't encountered Jesus Christ. Uh, we haven't heard his voice. All of Timothy hangs together. There is a, a gradual unfolding. And the whole point, well, not the whole point. I keep using that term. But it, it, all these threads continue to, to wind together. And you get to 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. He's, Paul is saying, the word of God comes from God. This is God's word. This is God's promise. Every bit as much as the vision I had on the road to Damascus. God's promises to us in his word are every bit as reliable as that heavenly vision that the Apostle Paul received because it comes from the very same God.
Paul says, I know whom I have believed. Not what I believe. I know who I believe. I believe Jesus can do that. I believe that Jesus can give me life. I believe that Jesus called me to be an apostle. I believe that he called me to be a preacher. I believe he called me to be a teacher. I believe that that was his purpose for me before I was ever created. And I know that, that there's suffering associated with that, but that's what I'm appointed unto. He's not surprised by his being in prison. He understands that that's a part of what it means. But he's not shaken by it because he says, I know whom I've believed. Number five, because Paul trusts in Jesus Christ, Paul trusts Christ with his life. 2 Timothy 4, 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. When he's talking about being rescued from every evil deed, he's not talking about in this present life that he's always going to get off scot-free. He's already said, it's future to us, but it's chapter 2 where Paul says, I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is hand. I fought a good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me in heaven a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me and not to me only, but to all them also that love his appearing. Paul says, I'm about to die. He gets to chapter 418. He says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. He's going to raise me from the dead to be, to him be the glory forever and ever. He knows who he has believed. I am going to live with him forever. Second Timothy 1 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And this is what's unique to Timothy. According to the promise of the life that's in Christ Jesus. That's the emphasis of 2 Timothy. The promise is life in Jesus. And that's what I'm sent to proclaim. Life in Jesus. If I believe in Jesus, that he gives me life, then what am I afraid of? then what am I afraid of? Conclusion. A, our faith is not a concept. Our faith is in a person. It is not about what we believe, it's about whom we believed. Our faith is not in a doctrine, a principle, a dogma. Our faith is in a relationship. Now, I don't want to be overly exclusive here. Certainly, dogma is important. Obviously, Doctrine is important, but what I'm trying to tell you is that there's a basis for what we believe. It's Jesus and what he's done. And all this teaching is about Jesus. But you don't put your faith in the teaching, you put your faith in Jesus. What Jesus said is true. Therefore, the teaching becomes significant. But without Jesus, the teaching is meaningless. 
If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, it doesn't matter what we believe. But he did. And our faith is in Jesus. Having said that, number one, if you notice carefully, it does not say, I know in whom I have believed. It says, I know whom I have believed. Think about that for a moment. It's a very awkward way of saying that. You would think it said, for I know in whom I have believed. Or I know, for example, but every translation, verse ESV, for I know whom I have believed. NAS, for I know whom I have believed. Verse the NIV, for I know whom I have believed. King James, for I know whom I have believed. When we preach the gospel, we are preaching Christ. Life is to be found in Jesus as the message of which we are not to be ashamed. The reason we are not to be ashamed of the message or those who proclaim it is because we know that we have life in Jesus. It isn't just that we say to people there's life in Jesus. We know we have life in Jesus. That's what keeps us going. It's the reality of it. It's true. Not just in a theory, theory, theoretical sense, not just in an abstract sense, it's true in an empirical sense. We have life in Jesus. We will never ultimately die. We will spend eternity with Jesus. If you can get that, you can handle the consequences that come of being associated with the gospel of Jesus Christ for who can harm us? What ridicule can compare with standing in the presence of God and hearing Jesus say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. So Paul says, there is a crown of rejoicing awaiting me as I depart. Three, the whole point is that we do not fear death and associating with the gospel and those who proclaim it, for we have life as a result of the gospel. So, D, know whom you have believed. Develop and promote our relationship to him. Trust in him and don't be afraid of others. Anticipate seeing him. Look forward to be rewarding, be, being rewarded by him. Think about Jesus. Think about his person. Think about who he is. Work at becoming more convinced of the reality of Jesus. I hope if I looked at everybody this morning and I said, do you, do you believe in Jesus? I hope your immediate response would be, yes, I believe in Jesus. But we could all grow to know him better. We could all grow in our confidence. We could all grow in our assurance. We could all grow in our understanding. We could all grow in our appreciation. We could all increase in our confidence in Jesus. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy to do. It's not a matter of pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's not about whipping ourselves into a frenzy. 
It's about inwardly becoming more confident that Jesus gives me life. And the life that he gives is far better than anything that I know now. And his approval is going to mean more to me than anyone's disapproval now. And the more convinced I am of that, the more I'm willing to make that known to others. May God give us that grace. 2 Timothy 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by will of God, according to the promise of the life that's in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Oh Lord, help us to know whom we have believed. Lord, help us to be able to move in our thinking from abstract doctrinal truths to a vital personal relationship to Jesus Christ that has confidence in him. The one that you have sent. The one who came into this world, who died on a cross and who rose again. The one who is coming back to this earth to receive us unto himself. And the one with whom we are going to be with eternity forever and ever. Give us confidence not just in those statements. Give us confidence in Jesus. The one by whom those statements mean something. Oh Lord, reveal Jesus more and more to us as we study the word. May we have our eyes of faith opened. May our confidence ever increase. And in so doing, help us not to be ashamed. To draw back, but gladly identify ourselves with Jesus and others who do. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.